welcome to the Leaf Report. This is Clark here. Hello, everybody. All right, James. It is a big episode of the podcast because playoffs are here. Uh, we did a preview pod with the, the boys from the Montreal side last week, but we wanted to kind of dig in a little bit more into the Leafs, obviously, because this is the Leaf Report pod. But first, you've got something to say, and I know you're ready to say it. Tell me what's on your mind. Okay, so speaking of that podcast with the Montreal guys last week, there there was some blowback from that podcast. Did you see any of that? There, I only know from you. There, there were some there were some fans that were unhappy. I saw one fan rated it an F minus. Was was the grade that we got for that podcast, and I was a bit surprised. I didn't. I was not expecting uh, people to be. I, I, you know, I, I did get a lot of messages from people that said they enjoyed the podcast and they liked it, but there were some Leafs fans found it not to their their liking. And it's an it's interesting, you know, when you get when you try and combine different people into a podcast that that you haven't you're not used to to doing it with. It, it's hard. There's there's definitely like a chemistry factor or something. Like you know, it happens when we have guests on. Sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it doesn't go really well. And we were a little bit worried. You know, having four of us, it's hard to. You kind of have to wait a long time before you talk and things like that. The dynamics a lot different when you have four people on. Um, yeah. But you know the the I mean the criticism that I saw was at uh, least fans felt that we weren't we were overly generous to Montreal and yeah. to the Canadians and to their level of ability to win this series. So you know, just let me start off by saying both of us are picking the Leafs to win this series. We both acknowledge they're a much better team and. I wonder if it was just I don't I don't think we were playing devil's advocate so much as we were trying we were trying to talk about some of the most interesting points of the series and the most interesting point of the series is not that the Leafs are dramatically better than Montreal like that that's not like is that that's not really a discussion I like I don't think anyone would debate that they're the favorites and Montreal's the underdog right so we didn't spend a lot of time talking about that uh, we can certainly talk about that on the podcast here but I feel like we were looking at it from the perspective, I think, as as media people and as journalists who who don't have a rooting interest. And we're like, well, you know, how might Montreal make this series interesting? And uh, you know, some Leafs fans didn't want to hear that that particular angle. Thoughts, Jonas? Yeah, one thing <clears throat> that I did hear um, about the podcast, so I did hear something, is that maybe we were a little bit too deferential to some of that stuff. And, and to be honest, part of it is just the nature of having four people on the podcast and, and kind of trying to, like, when it's just you and I, we can kind of go back and forth. It's a little bit harder to... You can't, you can't, like, talk over someone and yell and, like, I mean, it's... Yeah, and also, we need to be sensitive to the fact that um, they're really looking at it from the Montreal perspective and how they beat Toronto. And obviously, we're looking at it from the opposite perspective. Anyway, we could have, we probably could have done a better job on it. In, in terms of that, but it's just, you don't want to attack people and you, you know what I mean? Like it's hard in that kind of format when there's four of us and they're just kind of, and they're looking at it from journalism, like a journalist's perspective. And like, anyway, do you know what I'm trying to say? The other all? thing I would say too is, I mean, I don't, Arpin and Mark Antoine are not Homer journalists. Like no, they're not at all. all. Like, I mean, like if you've watched the press conferences, I mean, Arpin and Mark Bergevin and, you know, I, I've seen him get into it with Claude Julian and Arpin is and Mark Antoine are fantastic reporters and fantastic writers and 
We are yeah. very, very lucky to have them. So I have so much respect for those guys. Uh, I've been friends with Arpin for a long, long, long time. I mean, I remember, I remember covering the cup final with him. It's really when I got to know him well. We were in New York. I think it was Montreal, New York. Whatever year. that. What year was that? 2012, I want to say. Like going way back. Going way back. and You mean conference final? Yes. But, but yeah, but I, I did cover the cup final in New York as well. So it was the year when the Rangers went on to the final. It was either 2012 or 2014. Anyway, like I, I have so much respect for those guys and the way they cover the team. And I find their coverage so fascinating as a, as a hockey fan and as a journalist. Um but yeah, I mean, I, I, the reality is like, I think in like a conversational debate type forum like that, if you and I just continually said over and over again that Montreal doesn't have a chance, then I don't know what, how, how good of a podcast that would have been, you know, for, for the audience that would have wanted to listen to it. So we tried to approach it from the, you know, a very kind of like diplomatic, uh, even, even keeled uh, perspective. And I don't know, some people, some people appreciate it and some others didn't. Well, we apologize. Um I like I I have never thought Montreal was that good, um, even coming into the year. So like I I'm not on that train. Does that mean they can't win the series? No. Um, you yeah. You and I are in both. I mean, you in, picked in Montreal agreement. in five games. I mean, you know, and like you mean Toronto in five. games. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, I think they should roll. Like I think they should. I think they should. They should dummy this team. Like to use oh, an yeah. overdrive phrase. Like I, I just think they're significantly better. So let's get into some of that stuff. Like I want to go through uh, the Matthews presence, obviously in the series. I want to get into the story that you wrote about Matthews. We need to talk about the goaltending. I, I think it's really interesting when you look at the goaltending in the series, who actually has the advantage and, or maybe there's no advantage. Uh, we, we need to talk about the power play, obviously. Uh, and I think we should talk a bit about Riley Nash and, and the potential that, that he brings, given that he hasn't played a game yet for the least. But let's start with Matthews. I think there's so many different ways we can we can take this. Um, I don't know which 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 place to go first. So let's just start with your story. You wrote about the unique way he goes about scoring. Um, what was the most interesting thing that you learned in reporting that particular story? That was one of those stories where I went into it kind of just with a question in my head and I was like, well, how, how can this guy score 41 goals, 42 goals in 50, no, 41 goals, in 41. 50, 41 goals in 52 games. Like how is, he's 23 years old. This is only his fifth season in the league. He had the wrist injury, which limited what he was able to do. And the other thing, the other stat that really stood out to me was in the last two years, he has 32% more even strength goals than the player in second in the NHL. 32% more in two years. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's, and those were both shortened seasons. So in the, over the last 120 ish games in the NHL, he scored 32% more even strength goals than Alex Ovechkin, who's in second. That is crazy. That is at 22 and 23 years old. And so I was, I wanted to, you and I have talked about this a lot over the second half of the season. Like, what do we write about Matthews that's new? What do you even say about him? We've, I've written, I've written so many Austin Matthews stories. And what we're trying to do at The Athletic is not just kind of rehash the the narratives or rewrite the same stories that we've written in the past. Um, so I, I started digging and I, I spent the last six weeks of the season digging and trying to find out, you know, really what was going on in terms of the mechanics of him shooting. And it was very interesting to me. I think probably the most interesting thing I learned was just the way that the most interesting thing I learned was the way that goalies try to make saves and the way that Austin Matthews has learned how to counteract the way that they make saves. 
that there's this battle between shooters and goalies that I haven't really seen talked about or written about in like a technical way, maybe ever. There was a bunch of stuff in that story. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm surprised more people haven't read that story. It was, it was popular yesterday, but I think it's going to be one that, that um, if you haven't read it, like, honestly, like I, I think some people are like, oh, good. Uh, you know, another Austin Matthews story, whatever. This is a very different story. And it could have been about any player, you know, it could have been about a different player that, that was, there's just some really interesting things about how hockey works and like technique and how you shoot the puck and how skilled players think about how you shoot the puck. And there was lots and lots of stuff. And I had tons and tons of interviews that didn't make it into the story. And it was, it was interesting. I, I know I talked to you a lot about the story before I, I had, had it finished. What was, when, when you finally read it, I haven't talked to you since, since it came out. When you finally read it, what did you, uh, what did you take away from the piece? It actually reminded me, um, like you talk about the mechanics of, of the way he shoots and, and trying to kind of explain that it reminded me of other sports. Like it reminded me of baseball and it reminded me of basketball, like different ways that like, let's say Steph Curry in, in the NBA, like the ways he gets his shot off in such a unique way. That's different from like anybody else. And like, you think of in baseball, like um, specific hitters trying to suss out what a pitcher is going to do and try to, you know, beat that and try to like this little chess match that so, goes on. So, Jonas, and, let me interrupt and that's you. what it made me think about. Yeah. So, you know, those things about Curry and about, about baseball players from like reading like stories that get into like the technique and the technical stuff, right? Or do they talk about it on the broadcast or like, like, where did you learn about the specifics of that? Both, but it's it's like in baseball, like launch angle and like some of the graphics that you 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 would show me about from the story, just in terms of like what a, a shooter is looking at, what a, the puck is looking at when it looks at the goalie. Obviously, the puck doesn't have a present like a perspective, but like what, <laughs> what you can see, that's what it would look like. And so, some of that stuff in baseball, like, is is just kind of more common, like what a, a hitter is looking at when this pitch comes in, and you know, there's just more. Uh, like strategy, it seems obviously, but um, you, and we don't think about that in hockey, and yet clearly he's thinking about that. Yeah. So one of the takeaways I had with the story as it came together was we don't do a good enough job in hockey of talking about this or writing about it or covering it in an intelligent way. Like there's all of this stuff happening behind the scenes with the way players think about their their on ice strategy that it that just. Like no one, no one's writing writing about Austin Matthews changing the angle on his shot by doing various different things, or the way that he hides the, his tells on his shot. Like the fact that he's five years into his career in Toronto, and we haven't—I mean, that's kind of a failing on us to to not talk about that, really. And I, I think that you know the lesson for me in the story was like there's there's more there. You know, when you see something like the our job should be to ask questions and to take stories to different places, and we need to probably do that more than we do. Yeah, to be fair though, a lot of that, a lot of like hockey, I mean, if you asked Mitch Marner, why is he so, like, what does he do to pass the puck so well? I don't think that that's something he can explain in a way well, that you can explain. Well, find someone that can explain it though. Like, find like, like the, there, there is like a, a deep technical well of knowledge out there that, that we should probably, I know from like talking, I did, I did a lot of stories on goaltending going back eight or nine years ago and I went to Sweden and I went to the Swedish. I remember that story. I went to the Swedish national program and I, I met with their goalie coaches and they showed me like their textbooks that they had about, and I was like, 
Jesus, like there, there is like, like hockey is being analyzed and taught in a way that doesn't get talked about enough. And I wrote, so I, that story came out in 2013 when I was in Stockholm and it was fascinating to learn about the goalie training, but there's all kinds, but there's people that know. And it, you know, I, I laughed, I saw on Twitter, the uh, Thomas Magnuson, who's the head of goaltending for, for Sweden's national team. He tweeted out my Matthew story and said, this is fantastic yesterday. So it was, it was kind of like sort of coming full circle because I wrote about how the goalies are trained and how they're stopping players eight years ago. And then now I'm, now I wrote a story about, about shooters and, and here's the goalie coach saying that this is really good. Well, I won't accept your slander. I just think like hockey is late to the party with a lot of stuff. And like we haven't, I mean, look how long it's taken to get quote unquote advanced stats into hockey. And it's not even that advanced. Like it's just, it, it takes time like, and, and hockey is just behind. But I, I think we should pivot to Matthews in this playoff series because we are talking about the playoffs. I think one of the interesting subplots is going to be what Montreal tries to do to slow him down. Obviously, in Montreal, they will try to get that Deneau line against him as often as possible. And then, assuming he's healthy, Shea Weber and Ben Chirot would presumably play against Matthews all series. Um do you buy into, like, some of the numbers suggest that Deneau has done a really good job and, like, Deneau is a Selkie Trophy candidate. How much do you buy into that and how much do you just think it, it's not going to matter? Like, this is this is Matthews at his peak. Some of those numbers are small sample sizes. Like, how much do you buy into the job that he's done and how much of an impact that can have in this series? Okay, so I haven't seen these numbers. So, like, can you give me an example of, like, you know, like, what, what what's Deneau... Like, I think like the number I had in my story on whatever day it was, it doesn't matter, uh, was like in like 99 minutes against Matthews since the start of last season, I think it was. Matthews has scored like two goals when Deneau's been on the ice, 5-on-5. Yeah, Jonas, you can't use goals though because it's like it's just too much of a – like the goalie save percentage and all that would be – have such a huge – Yeah, okay. So, another side. Well, it's like – Expected goals when Matthews on the ice with Deneau is like 47% and without him, it's like 61. That help you? The one thing I would look at, I think with this, and I, and I, I apologize, I should have looked this up before we started the podcast. I would look at like the individual production that Austin Matthews is able to get against these various players. And I would use it over as large a sample size as makes sense. Like two years is probably okay, but I would even go three or four. And like, I would just look at, you know, I wait, let me stop you there. The reason I didn't go three or four, because I don't think Matthews is the same player three years ago. No. And, and, and that's the only, and that's what's tough with this. Like, I don't even think he's the same player as last year. Like, I just think, but no, but if Montreal journalists and, and fans and, or whoever is arguing that Deneau is able to limit Matthews, then I think the way to prove that is to look at the biggest possible sample size. You're not measuring Matthews of two years ago against the Matthews the player he is now. You're going to look at like what were his results two years ago against Deneau versus his results against other players, and that's something that we need to do. Like I think we we probably we need to write that article and 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 get into some of this. The same thing goes with Shea Weber too. I mean, I, I'll confess I, I haven't I haven't looked at the uh, the Matthews versus Weber stats as closely as you have, but you know I, you know let me let me put it this way. I would be surprised, Jonas, if 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 Weber or Deneau have the have solved the puzzle of Matthews better than Patrice Bergeron or Jean Couturier or Barkov or like some of these other amazing defensive players, that just doesn't ring true to me. That um, like it's it's not like Montreal has like the best shutdown personnel in the league. I mean, certainly they're going to try, but I feel like Matthews is going to be able to break through in this series. Well, he just hasn't faced. 
Bergeron that much. Like, I have the stats right in front of me since the start of last season. He's played against Bergeron for 19 and a half minutes, five on five. Like, he just hasn't faced him. Deneau is the most frequent opponent uh, at forward. And in 99 and a half minutes, he has two goals, one assist, and 16 shots. And he's shooting 12 and a half percent. So, like, it, I mean, yeah. again, hockey stats so are not perfect, but, and Deneau is a really good defensive player. Like, it's not, it, it, it doesn't not compute. If that makes sense, um, but so so, do you buy? Do you think they can actually slow him down, or do you just think a like Shea Weber is is coming off an injury? He's older. He's not the player he was. Like so, even those numbers that you can dig up from the past, which like shows some success, they're less. They they haven't been as good this year. Matthews is a different player. Like I'm just not sure any of that matters. Like I just think Matthews is on a different level right now, and I'm not sure that they're going to be able to slow him down. Is my point. Like I think you try and limit him on the on the power power play as much as you can, which I mean probably which is possible given like how much the power play has yes. struggled. Um, and I think you get in his face and you be physical and you hope that it works. But I I don't think there's any guarantee that that's going to work. You know I don't I I think Matthews is in a mindset now where he's going to be he's going to be very difficult to limit. And it, his the thing too that in doing that story, Jonas, that a lot of people said his confidence level is incredibly high. You know, people don't understand quite how, how... Well, that's what I'm talking about, James. Like, I don't know that anything... Like, even looking back to the playoffs last year, even the same thing with Marner, I don't know that it, it means anything. Like, I just think they're completely... Not completely different players, but I think they've gone up a notch. Um, and, like, Matthew's confidence is part of that. Marner's confidence is, is part of that. Like, they just seem like... It, it doesn't matter who you put in front of them. They're going to eventually break through because like you remember James, like last year and I bring back last year while saying it doesn't matter, but last year they start game one. Matthews is not playing with Marner. Matthews is playing with Nylander um, because obviously that's what kind of happened late in the year is the chemistry kind of faded a little bit. And in the last game, I believe against Tampa, they, they switched the lines and that's how they went into the playoffs. And obviously it didn't work in game one and they went back to it. Um, but they're just on a different level and that's why I'm not really, and that's probably where we could have pushed back more against the Montreal guys is I don't think that they'll be able to stop him. Um, and then there's Carey Price, like Matthews has had a lot of success against Carey Price. So that's part of the conversation too. Yeah. I believe he's scored 12 regular season goals against Carey Price, which matches the most of any goalie and Craig Anderson's the other one that he scored 12 goals against. And then uh, another goalie who scored a lot against is, is Jake Allen. So if we see Jake Allen in the series, he's beaten Jake Allen six times, including five times this season alone. So, you know, Jake Allen was one of the goalies in my story, whereas, you know, he was saying how difficult it is to read what Matthews is doing and how difficult it is to score on him, to prevent him from scoring on them. I'm not sure where I want to go next, James. I think where I want to pivot um, is to, let's say there's a world, right? Where they are, they're able to like slow him a bit, right? Imagine a world where. Yes, exactly. What do you think of Neilander and Tavares um, heading into the series? Like, what's your confidence level that those guys can win their matchup? Because my confidence level is like, I'm reasonably confident. Um, they played better, obviously, in the second half. They haven't had a lot of success against Montreal during the regular season, again, small sample size, but it is what it is. Um, they've got Nick Foligno on their line. I kind of believe in them more than I did last year. But again, there was a five-month layoff, so that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that 
part of their success is going to hinge on how it goes with the experiment with the third line with Riley Nash and, and Mikhail yeah. and Kerfoot. And I think that if that line plays well and, and is able to take on some difficult minutes in the defensive zone, then that really frees up Foligno and Tavares and Nylander to do some damage against a fourth line. Maybe Montreal's got, you know, an older, slower fourth line. That feels like a mismatch to me if you got Nylander out there against, you know, whatever, Eric Stahl and Corey Perry. And I, I don't have to, to... Well, that's their third line. Their third line is Perry, Stahl, and Josh Anderson right and now. And Fro- Leak's drawing into the lineup too, right? Uh, I think that's on the fourth line, yes. Okay. Well, and that's the thing, James. Like, if that line is not going to score and they're going to be able to slow Matthews, like, that's that's like that's what we talked about last week. That's Montreal's... Uh, game plan for winning the series if like you can neutralize those top two lines like those bottom two lines for Toronto aren't probably going to be able to get you enough like the Nash line is not going to score much yeah but how are they going to neutralize those top two Leafs lines like it's, it feels like almost uh, I don't well, know well like, like maybe Deneau somehow slows Matthews and then that's why that Nylander Tavares combo feels like so essential because if they're dominant like it, it series is over you don't definitely don't want to get into a Columbus type of situation where I, I think the Leafs are going to need some offense from the third and fourth line, though. I mean, I like I think they're going to need something. So they're, they're going to need those. I, I call them the the old guys without a cup. Ogwack. It's uh, Simmons and, and Thornton and Spezza. It's like that doesn't exactly uh, roll off the tongue, James. Uh, that's a that's a down goes Brown staple. The, his Ogwack column. It's probably it's probably coming out like real soon, like next week or something. Yeah. You don't like Ogwack? I like it in theory. It's, uh... <laughs> okay, so Jonas, while we've been talking, I apologize if it sounds like I've been uh, tripping over my words because I've been trying to look up this Matthews <laughs> stat against Deneau. Okay, last three years, 109 minutes at 5-on-5 five five against Deneau. His individual expected goals is 0.84. When he's in all minutes, so not against Deneau, it is 1.02. So, Deneau did manage to limit him by, what's that, 16%, something like that? I mean, what others, I don't know what other stat you would want to use, like, you know, shot attempts. Uh, normally, he has about 18 per 60 minutes at 5-on-5, five five, and against Deneau, it was 16. So, there's, there's evidence that Matthews wasn't quite as offensively dominant when he faced against Deneau, but it doesn't look like it's overwhelmingly so. He did have a very low shooting percentage, Matthews did against Deneau, but that's when you get into like really small sample size issues. You know, it's, that's, the, the shooting percentage, like, is it the goalie? Is it just luck? Is it random? That's where you got to be careful with looking at how many points someone's produced in the minutes they've played against a guy. Well, the problem for Montreal is in games one and two, they're, they're going to, well, maybe it's not a problem because one thing that was interesting and in just looking back at some of the matchups throughout the year is Sheldon Keith didn't care. Like, he, he played Matthews against Deneau frequently, understandably. Like, uh, anytime you have those guys, you probably feel like you're you're good. Like, you're not really worried, even if it's McDavid, even if it's whoever. Um, so, Montreal may just get that advantage, or not that advantage, that matchup all series if they want it. Um, so, I, I think the Neolander-Tavares thing is going to be interesting. Because, like, those two guys, James, like... The one guy of that core four that had a good playoff series last year was Matthews. The rest were kind of just okay. 
I mean, Neander and Tavares both had one five-on-five point. And obviously, the Leafs had three five-on-five goals. So this was the most dominant five-on-five team in the league during the 2021 season. So maybe all that stuff is out the window and this is just going to be a runaway train, you know? I think this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast. This Leafs team is different. This Leafs team is better. We've done the quote of the week, right? And this is probably no, a good it's perfect segue. That's, James. that's what I was like. Wait, wait a minute. This sounds familiar. Let's let's do the quote of the week. None of this happens by accident, James. This is all carefully oh, planned it's, out. It's all by accident with me. I'm just stumbling around here, and you know what's going on, and I don't. You think it's my fault? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? Okay. Well, yeah, he was just screaming in my ear, so <laughs> I had to kind of start singing along with him. But uh, you know, he's a big fan of that song. He plays it in the car sometimes, so uh, you know, he, he definitely is a big Bon Jovi guy. Just being around this useful energy that gets me excited, and they got a lot of it here. But uh, yeah, just soak it all in. You know, I feel like I'm, you know, young again. It's it's a good feeling to be in. Well, so as you you laid it up, um, it's been since 2004. Obviously, the Leafs have won a playoff series. Uh, Sheldon Keefe was asked about that on what day is today? Tuesday, and this was his response. In terms of the pressure or anything like that, I don't sense that at all. Um, our team recognizes the the opportunity that we have here. They believe in our group. The, the nice thing about our team from day one is you, you know what you're working towards, but you also are having fun working towards it. I think uh, one of the early uh, uh, pressers that Joe Thornton had, and I think he had a quote along the lines of, uh, is I have no stress, man. I really don't. Um, I think that just sums up the, the feeling of our team. Um, we know the work that's required, though, to 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 you know to push through and all of that. We're not discounting that, but I think our group just recognizes this is a different team than we've had in the past. If you're a guy that's been here uh, in the past and maybe failed to to um, you know push past the first round, um, you feel and you know that this is a different group. And if you're if you weren't here of anything that's happened in the past, you don't you don't care about any of that kind of stuff. It's irrelevant. So I think he's right. I like it's it's not the same team. Like I know there's familiar characters, but even the familiar characters are different. Like Matthews well, and Marner, we touched on are different. Let's uh, let's count it up, Jonas. How many guys weren't there last year for the series? You know, from the from the main roster. I mean, it. Well, let's see who the who who was there: Hyman, Matthews, Marner, Neander, Tavares, Kerfoot, Spezza, Mikheyev, Riley, Hall, Muzzin, Dermot, Anderson, Campbell. Now, Campbell didn't play, but but so it's not like it's a pretty healthy chunk of the roster that was there. But like so much of that is um, like I mentioned those guys being different, a year older, more experienced. Kerfoot's in a different position now than he was then. He's, he's playing on the wing. So not like huge, but it difference. Dermot's a year older. We're not sure if he's going to play. Riley, instead of playing with Cody Cece, is going to be playing with TJ Brody. Anderson's not the starter. Like there's a lot of stuff. This team is better defensively. Uh, and that's, that was Keith's point. Like, in addition to all that, there's so many new guys here who, who don't care about any of that history because they weren't here to be part of it. Like, Well, let's – like, so just looking at personnel, like, we can list the ways that they are better. I mean, the defense is – we've talked about that lots. Like, that that's a huge upgrade. TJ Brody's been fantastic. They're not going to – like, Marincin's not going to play in this series. And, and Bogosian's been really good on the third pair too. So, you know, I think they're upgraded all around. And – in theory, too, Riley should be healthier than he was last year as well. Even though I know Riley, no, had some he was healthy here. though at that point. Remember, because like remember, he came back. I think he came back right before the break. I think he played one game, and then he had like five months off. Like he was healthy by the time 
Now, he yeah, wasn't. Maybe he wasn't up to speed, though, right? Like, well, who was? Like, five month layoff, who's going right, to be up to speed? Right, right, right. That's right. another factor. Right. But I mean, I, I feel better about their goaltending than I did last year. I mean, you know, uh, Anderson had struggled a lot last season. I mean, while his numbers were pretty solid in the play in series, there were times in that series where Anderson let them down. Uh, I know Campbell's a bit of a wild card, but it's hard to argue with the season he's had. I mean, at least they're going into the year with a with a goal you feel good about the year that he's had. Uh, and then you look up front and and kind of the depth. You know, they're I feel better about what they've got there too. Wait, keep talking. I want to find the, the the fourth line, third and fourth lines. Even though I think I know it offhand from last year. Goat 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 played some games, right? Like Goat uh, played some games. Yes. So game one. These were their bottom two lines. Robertson, Kerfoot, Kapanen, Clifford, Gauthier, Spezza. For all, I have seen people complain about Joe Thornton. Joe Thornton is such a huge upgrade over those guys on the fourth line. Over Kyle Clifford? Or or, or the Goat? Or Goat or whoever you want to talk. Like, and, and Robertson, like Nick Robertson's going to be a good player in the NHL, but like last year he was a green rookie, you know, playing in his first games ever and... Well, and James, like, there's not really a function to either of those lines. Like, you, you can't yeah. can't really depend on either of those lines to get you anything offensively, and you're not really going to want them on the ice in a key defensive spot. And that's why you've got that Nash line with McKayev and Kerfoot kind of serving that purpose. And obviously, Thornton, Spezza, Simmons are just going to get stuffed in the offensive zone. And even if they don't score, even if they can just kind of, like, hog the puck, have positive shifts – that's helpful because I don't think they really got that from that fourth line. And that that push to have more, I would call it utility from your lines, like more of a purpose for players lower in the lineup, that yeah. was something that the, the organization talked about a lot in the offseason, that they wanted to have more of that. And that was something that they targeted. They weren't able to fill all of the holes. I mean, obviously, TJ Brody was was – was the big piece that they wanted. And then they ran into a cap situation where they couldn't bring in all the pieces that they wanted, but they wanted to find a Riley Nash-like player during the season and a, and a Nick Foligno-type person during the season to really kind of fill out the roster with, um, I guess, the depth pieces, but but more importantly, to have players that they feel like they can use in, in certain ways. So, and I, I think they've got that now. And you're right. I mean, like, Frederick Goche should not be playing in a playoff game for a contending team, and uh, he's not this year. Did he play? Like, he played in Arizona for, like, a couple games, right? Let's see. He, yeah, I think What's he was the over-under, mostly, James? Under five games? I think he was mostly with the AHL team. I think he probably played about five games. I'm going to say he played three or four. Two. Yeah. I did see he did get into the lineup. It was very late in the year, and it was when they were already out of it, I think, that they started playing him. Did he play in the AHL at all, or was he just on the taxi squad the whole year? He played 18 AHL games. Oh, okay. So, he played quite a bit there. Yeah. I mean, Freddie Goche is a good guy, and I know he worked really hard to make himself better, but it's just he's just he's just a, he's a tweener. This was their defense in Game 5. Riley Cece, Dermot Hall, Marinchin Berry. They're all, those are all bad. <laughs> so. Those are, those are all a problem. And, you know, and we, we – I don't want to rehash last season, but – I think part of the problem with the the podcast with the Montreal guys uh, last week was a little bit that they don't see the Leafs as much as we do, obviously, because we watch every single game and we talk about them all the time and fans watch them every game. And there's there's this narrative out there in some of the other markets that this 
Leafs team bears some relation to last year's team. And it's... Well, James, that was very apparent in Craig Custance's story when he talked to different people in the game about the Leafs. It's like, they're not good defensively. Well, actually, the numbers suggest that they are. Like, it's... it's And, and there's also this impression of the Leafs that they're this... Sl- like, they're still this, like, slick and all skill and, like... Really, they're not. Like, they're, they've got a handful of guys who are like that, and they, they prioritize possessing the puck. But they're not like they were before. Like, there's a lot of diversity in terms of styles on this roster. That was one of the things that we talked about going into last offseason is that they needed to get more. We talked about the Lou Lamorello stuff. Like, they needed some flutes, and they needed some trombones and baritones, and, like, they, you can't just be all Too saxophones. Bad. Yeah, tuba. Who's who's the tuba player on the Leafs? Is it Bogosian? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Simmons? All right, well, we want to get into the goaltending. We should talk a little bit more about Nash. We need to talk about the power play. We've got the pod bag. Can I just play the tuba in the background the rest of the show? You cannot. All right, James. Jack Campbell versus Carey Price. Who has the advantage in goal? Oh, man. Why don't I get to throw you the impossible questions? You know, you know what's interesting. The thing here's the thing. So the I, I you know the counterpoint from a Montreal fan or or even you know our Montreal writers would be, Leafs fans didn't see the way that Carey Price played in the playoffs. I mean, every year, but also last year, and he basically carried them past Pittsburgh in the first round last year and into, into a huge upset. So some of that belief that uh, Leafs fans are seeing from the Montreal writers and Montreal fans is that they just they've seen Carey Price do it before and they just feel like he's going to elevate to another level and that, you know, while his regular season numbers are not good, good. <laughs> like for how, I mean, like the last four years almost, right? Like and that contract's been become problematic. Uh, there's still this belief in Montreal because they've seen him do it before that Carey Price might, might be able to steal the series. Well, so let's look last year. He had a 901 save percentage during the regular season in the playoffs. It was 936. Yes. In the regular so, season previous, he had a save percentage of nine oh nine. In the playoffs, nine thirty three. That so that's what they think is is coming, and that's why you're seeing that talked about, and that's why they believe Price will be a bigger factor in this series than uh, some other people do. And I would, this is a, I would take Campbell just because I think Cam, I mean Campbell's had a, a big year, but. That's the context there on why people still believe in Carey Price despite his struggles the last few years. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of a contrasted styles. Like Campbell's had this sensational regular season, but he's never done it in the playoffs at all. And Carey Price has started sixty-seven playoff games, and he's obviously been—he was—he's not anymore, but he was the best goalie in the world for a while. I kind of though Jonas, I side with the people that say like there's there's so many examples in the last twenty years in the NHL of goalies that didn't have playoff experience that came in and played well and like went on a run and like sure. you know, I mean Cam go Ward two years ago. Cam Jordan Ward Bennington is a is a is a famous one in, in 06. I mean they Jordan Bennington, Matt Murray, like it happens. So like you're guessing any- you're guessing by saying because he doesn't have experience that it's gonna be a problem. Like No, like, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we don't know. Like I'm not well, assuming that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean uh, like it's oh, it's, it's just saying. like a theoretical I thought you were accusing me. But you're not. No, I'm saying like if 
I asked, you know, what I asked before we came on the podcast, I asked people what the most frustrating narrative that's emerged as we've been waiting for this series to start. Because there's been a lot of stuff on Twitter. I don't know how much you've been following it, but there's been, there's a lot of, there's going to be uh, some pretty crazy stuff on Twitter during this series. I can already tell. Um, let me, uh, I know you, I know you have something you want to get to, but this is a good segue for me into what I wanted to get to that is not on your schedule at all. And I'm just playing the agent of chaos here. But like, if I throw you the four things that, that fans gave us as the worst narratives about this series before it starts, do you think you can tell me which one you think is the worst? Sure. Okay. Number one, the Leafs have a goalie controversy. Okay. People, people don't like that one. Uh, number two, the Leafs cannot play physical. And will be run out of the rink. Number three, Carey Price will steal the series. We've talked about that just now. Number four, Montreal has no chance in the series. Which one of those is the is the worst or the the least the least accurate? The least accurate. I kind of think it's the wait. Can you say them once more? Leafs have a goalie controversy. Yeah. Leafs can't play physical. Yeah. Carey Price will steal the series. Montreal has no chance to win. I those, think are a lot of the, those, those are all bad, aren't they? The physical, probably. Yeah. I mean, like, it, the roster is... The Leafs have just, if not more of that, whatever the hell you want to call it, as Montreal. Like, they're not... You're looking at the past teams, if you think that. Like, Simmons, Felino, Thornton, Bogosian, Muzzin. Like, they're, they're just not that way. And I don't even know what the hell that means. Like, I don't, I don't know what that... I don't know what that matters. Like we're in 2021. It's what we talked about. Like people are thinking of the 2018 Leafs going in as the underdog against Boston and getting intimidated and losing the series. And it's like, well, that, that was that was three years ago. But you know what the thing though, the, in, in, you know this in pro sports, Jonas, is that until a team does it or until a player does it, then it just perpetuates. You know, the, the, the conversation around the Washington Capitals for like, boy, like 10 years, 12 years, all the Washington Capitals are chokers and they can't win in the playoffs and Alex Ovechkin can't play in the playoffs. Oh, they win the cup. You know, like that's just, that's just the way it is. And I mean, but you know, logically we've watched the Leafs all season and we know they're a different team and we know that I don't think the physicality, I don't think it's going to get them off their game. I mean, look at the, they're one of the oldest teams in the league. They're one of the most experienced teams in the league. Do you I think mean, they're, like, they're, they're, their fourth line alone has like 300 Playoff is, games is is Simmons, Thornton, Muzzin, uh, Brody, or you know Bogosian. Who am I missing? And none of these guys are going to be intimidated by that shit. I mean, they're expecting it. They've been talking about it. They're like, yeah, like bring it on. Like they're ready. You know, they've played in playoff series before. So anyway, so what is the answer? Which is the one you think is worse? Is that the worst one? I think the idea that Leafs have a goalie controversy is really stupid. Okay, well, hang on. Let, let me stop you there. Because I think the, the word, the problem is the word controversy. I think they have a goalie question mark. And I think that's completely no, 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 fair. No, 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 but... Controversy they, is the wrong word. No, no, no. But they, they're saying the, the idea that there's a debate over who to play. That's, uh, the, that's what the goalie controversy is. Which is, okay. like, it makes... I, I know this is confusing because it literally makes no sense at all. Like, there's, like... You know, like when a team has a goalie controversy, it's like, oh, do we start Campbell or do we start Anderson? Like people are still debating that. Like I've seen that on, like that's been uh-huh. being talked about in the market. I was like, ah. See, I actually think it's the same as what I was, which you didn't like early in the year when I said I refused the word. I don't think I used the word controversy, but like a couple games of the year, Anderson gave up nine goals. And I said, well, they've got a question. Like his seat is warm. And I think that was completely fair. And I stand by that. And I, I think it proved out that it was a question and it became a bigger question. And now it's, now he's the backup, but that can change. And I think that's, what's interesting about their goaltending is like, 
we don't know how Jack Campbell is going to respond. Like there is more pressure in the playoffs. Like we haven't seen how he'll handle that. And I think that's fair. I, I, I don't know that. Like we, we have a sample size with Carey Price where he performs in the playoffs and he's done this and he's done that. He's also coming off an injury. Like that is, so I don't know. We can assume anything about either guy really. I think the price could steal the series is maybe the least stupid of these ones. Yeah. The, the people saying Montreal has no chance or every team has a chance. I mean, every playoff series is they're not, it's not a coin flip, but every, I mean, look how many times we've seen underdogs win in the playoffs. Like, well, I mean, Montreal last year with Pittsburgh, right? I don't want to make Leafs fans nervous because it's, the team should win. But, you know, to say a team has no chance is just, it, it's absurd. It's not true. Agreed. All right. I took you off the rails there for five minutes to get into my Twitter poll. So, no, now, it, uh, it kind of worked because we got to talk about the goaltending. I, I'm like pretty fascinated to see uh, what Campbell can do. I, I thought it was interesting. Like, Sheldon Keefe was asked, like, what he learned about Campbell that he didn't know before this season. And he said, you know, how he was able to respond to some adversity. Obviously, there was that stretch in the season where he had three poor starts in a row. He was like, really hard on himself afterward. Uh, Keith talked to him about it and he kind of turned things around and the rest of the year was no problems. He was kind of back to what he was doing before. And that's going to be part of the story in the playoffs. Like if he gives up a bad goal, let's say he gives up the first goal in game one, it's not great. What does he do? I think, I think he'll probably be okay. Yeah. That's the, I mean, based on the regular season, but we have to see it. Um, let's talk about Riley Nash. Actually, do you want to talk about the power play first? That's a little bit more interesting yeah. than Riley Nash. Let's is talk it? about the power play. Yeah. Oh, I, I wanted to talk about Riley Nash. All right, fine. Let's did, talk about Riley know, Nash. What do you want? Did you know he's from Kamloops? I don't even know what Kamloops is. Is that like a town or something? <laughs> you probably have. You've known me for. You've known me for what? Fourteen years, thirteen years. And I know more than about yeah, Kamloops you, than I should. <laughs> that's what I, I love say. Kamloops. So. That's what I was going to say. One day, I would love to get you out there, and we just drink beer on my dad's deck and, and watch the watch the sun go down in the valley. And you'd that love sounds it. Sounds good. It, it's cool there. Um, Riley Nash is from there. He went. I'm pretty sure he went to Brock, which is one of the names names of the high schools there. I went to I went to Sahali, so we were rival schools. We used to play. I remember I used to run against Brock in track and field all the time. They had a really a guy who was really fast in our in my age group, um, and 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 Riley Nash played for uh, the Salmon Arm Silverbacks, which Salmon Arm is a small city that's like about forty minutes away from Kamloops, and uh, so the Silverbacks play in the BCHL. So Riley Nash had a bit of an unusual path to make it to the NHL because he went the the college route and the BCHL route, which is a very good league and a you know perfectly. Uh, fine way to, to make it to the NHL. But the thing that everyone says in Kamloops about Riley and, and his family is like, they're just, they're really smart people and they're really intelligent. And you could see in, in Riley Nash's media availabilities kind of, he just seems like a, a really solid person and someone who's got a very cerebral approach to the game. And uh, Sheldon Keefe has, has talked about it too, that he thinks he's going to be able to integrate fairly well, despite the fact he's never played for the Leafs before just his level of experience and just who he is as a person that he's not going to, it's not going to be a problem for him to step right in. I don't know. What do you think of that? I think it's fair. I, I just think he's, he's, he's like you said, he's experienced in the league. Uh, he's not some, like he's not some kid who's just um, being thrust into this, this situation that he's not comfortable with. Like he's been on, he's basically going to be doing the same kind of role he did in Boston that he did in Columbus. 
he, I, I don't know, maybe the chemistry is a little less important because they're just, they just need him to be really good defensively. Um, he's smart enough to do it. Like it's, it's kind of the same thing with Foligno. Like it doesn't seem as concerning because those guys are so smart. Um, and not just like smart, smart, hockey smart. I, I just think it's interesting. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they use that line, how often they use that line. Obviously, they'll just bury it in the defensive zone. But like, will they? What will they do with matchups? Like, will they chase a matchup, or will they just let Matthews handle things? You know what I mean? Like, I'm curious to see how far he goes. Yeah, I kind of think it's going to be like really situationally based, you know, defensive zone starts against the second line kind of thing. Like that's yeah. when he's, when he's going to use that line. And uh, if the Leafs get an early lead, you might see that line play more than otherwise. And if they're trailing, then you'll probably see it play a lot less. And then he's going to lean on the other lines. And yeah. What you were talking about, about having a purpose for the line. That's something that you can tell that, that Sheldon Keefe really, really likes and, and wants to have. And that's probably going to be a staple of his tenure as the Leafs coach is that he's going to, He's going to continue to try and find purposes for different lines. So it, it is going to be interesting to see, you know, we're not expecting a lot of offense out of that line. So they're going to have to be good defensively. They're going to have to be able to take a defensive zone start. And Riley Nash's faceoff percentage is not that great. So it's just okay. Yeah. They're going to, isn't he down at like 46 or something like that? I mean, they're going to lose some draws and they're going to, the key is going to be, if you look at, at Riley Nash's numbers, is that he has pretty good numbers at, at when he starts in the defensive zone of getting the puck back and getting it out of the zone, going down the ice, getting an offensive zone face off, and then you you get a skilled line out there to, to score some goals. Well, and they haven't like, – I mean, we, they came into the year wanting to have that line. Sheldon Keefe, like, wanted a line exactly like that, and it just didn't work. Like, Alex Kerfoot – I think it, it just comes down to he's not, he's not big enough. He's not strong enough. Like, he couldn't – he seems like he's better on the wing if you're trying to ask him to be that person – I just don't think he's built to do it. And obviously Nash is, is a bit bigger. He's more experienced. Um, so we'll see. It's interesting. Like if, if it frees up Tavares and Neander to spend more time in the offensive zone, that's great. Like that's what they were doing early in the year and it worked. So we I've shall on, see. I've been on the Kerfoot as a winger train for a long time. And uh, I think we've won some converts this year because there were people that even coming into this season that were – we're arguing that he should be a, he should be yes. a center. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do at third line center next year too. Yes. Well, I mean, it might just be taken out of their hands. Like Kerfoot could get claimed, but they're going to have to find a solution anyway. Maybe it's Riley Nash. Dun dun dun. He's a free it. agent. I think ideal world Riley Nash isn't your third line center because like he just doesn't have the offensive capabilities to play that many minutes. Like you know, he's he had he had seven points this year. He had fourteen the year before and twelve the year before that. Like it. His his offensive ability is pretty limited. So well, you it's just you what don't you call be, it. Like he's, I mean, yes. in Columbus, he was the fourth line center. It, yes, he's exactly. basically the four A center here. Like they're yeah, going to play the the hell out of those top two lines. It's like think. you call it. It's like three, yeah, three, three, and three B or whatever. Nice, like, nice, James. You, like you don't have to have a third and a fourth line that play a different amount of minutes. Like they might play very similar amount of minutes in this yeah. series. I think I think they probably will. I think they will too. Let's talk about the power play. Because I think it's really interesting. Or like poor play. So again, again, they are changing what they're doing. Um, the power play obviously hasn't been good for a long time. They have tried all kinds of different combinations. They've gone with that star loaded up unit. They've gone with 
balanced units. They've tried. They've tried like honestly. I, I'm I'm trying to look at how many guys they've tried. Like they've tried just about everyone. Like the only I was going to say Mikheyev hasn't been on the power play, but I think he actually was on the power play briefly at one point uh, in front of the net. Like I'm pretty sure actually like almost every forward except for like Pierre Engvall um, has been on there at some point. So yeah, we've been asked on for the podcast you know, to provide a little bit more detailed analysis or explanation of what's wrong with the power play. Okay. So, I mean, I, I know you're there watching them work on it in practice. I mean, do you, can you pick up on what they're going to try and do differently as a, not just the personnel, like, you, you know, you listed how that, you know, Sandy is going to be on the, the first unit and all that. Like, what do you think tactically they might try and do different on the power play? Well, I think when they have it split the way they do. So Neilander and Tavares get their own unit, quote unquote, they get more opportunities. And obviously like the personnel is different. Like, so on the right flank on that one, a unit, they've got Spezza. And on the other one, it's Matthews and sometimes Marner. I think honestly, what, what to me, what the problem with their power play has been is it's very predictable what's happening. And I, and I mean, it was reinforced for me just watching that, that Tampa power play. You had no idea who was going to shoot. And and like, there was so much unpredictability with all the different options that they have with Kucherov and Stamkos and Point and Hedman. It's like, where 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 do I focus? And with the Leaf power play, or even remember those years, Boston's power play was just dominating yes. the Leafs in the in the playoffs. And like it was like Boston's power play was like a work of art those years. You know, yeah, because it was like Pasternak can beat you, oh, but so can Martian, so can Bergeron. It's like well. Like, what, what are you supposed to do? And with the Leafs... It's almost like the, the power play is like the anti... You know, like the, the story about Matthews is all about how deceiving he is and how hard he is to predict. Yes. And then the Leafs power play is like... And, and it's almost like they're... So, so I, I've been doing some, some research on this and I've been talking to some people around the league about this. And, you know, one coach that I talked to said he thinks that the Leafs have been overcoached on the power play and they're, they're being kind of put into, like, boxes and being told, you know... And that it's in the... It, it's in their heads from a confidence perspective, but also that the schemes have like taken over and the creativity that you're talking about has been pulled out of them. Well, you know, exactly if I, you and I know exactly what they're trying to do. It's, it's really not hard for other teams to figure out. And it just, it's, it's interesting, James, because like Alex Ovechkin continues to be like this power play monster. You know exactly what he's going to do, but the difference is like, you can't stop that shot. Whereas like the Matthew shot, like, I guess he does have the one timer, but it's it's so much. It's not as heavy as as Ovechkin. He gets it off differently, and I think honestly, part of the the issue to me is Marner. Like I just think it's it's so clear cut what Marner is going to do when he gets the puck. He's not a threat to shoot. Uh, not only is his shot not threatening, he he doesn't. It's not only that though, Jonas. Like sorry to interrupt you, but like it. It's that combined with the fact that Riley is also not a threat with the shot. Yes. If you had just one of them, then it would be, they would be less predictable, right? But if you have two guys, how many power play goals did Marner have this year? Zero. (laughs) Zero. Like, yeah. Riley had one. So you got two guys on your top power play unit who cannot score a power play goal. So, like, how is, Man, they're like you look at like. Do you know like so? Matthews had ten power play goals. Yeah, I know it all. It's like Tavares six, Neilander yeah. four, and then it's like nobody. Hyman had three, it, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Simmons had Simmons three, had three. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of zeros and ones among their best players. 
Well, and, and to me, James, like it's felt for me like they've underutilized Nylander on the power play. Uh, yeah. Like I don't know why he's he hasn't been in that martyr spot because he's actually a threat to shoot and he's actually a pretty good passer too. He's a good shooter. He's a great shooter. Like he's yeah. the second best shooter on the team, and they they've stuck him by the net. They've yeah, stuck you're him right. In the you middle. know what? We haven't really seen Nylander like just rip one on the power play and score a goal that I like. I don't remember one of those. It's, I guess they've been relying on him to score from in tight a little bit more than... Yeah, than and it been. doesn't make sense. Like, he's an unbelievable shooter. And if you had him on the opposite side to Matthews, suddenly if you're a penalty kill, he's actually a threat. And so, like, you can't you can't game plan so much against stopping the Matthews shot because, well, Nylander can beat you too. And so, like, that's, I, I, that's why I don't mind getting them away from Matthews and Marner is because now Nylander Tavares can kind of do their own thing. And we saw early in the year, that's how they had success. Like Tavares scored a bunch on the power play. Nealander scored a few on the power play. Um, so maybe this will work, but I, I'm just surprised that that's the one thing they've tried everything. They've never split Matthews from Marner on the power play. And you remember James, like early in their careers, they were not on the same power play unit and, and the Leafs had a lot of success on the power play. So I don't know. Bring back Jim Hiller. Honestly, Jim Hiller, like, under, well, yeah. We're sorry, Jim. Come back. Remember how creative their power play? Like, they had two power plays that operated completely different. Like, the Matthews one with Neander was its own thing. And then you had Marner, who was awesome when he was with Van Riemsdyk and Kadri and Bozak. And Jim is with the Islanders, right? I think their power play is just, like, kind of like. They don't have the personnel, right? Yeah, they don't have the, but, but. I mean, would you say that they've exceeded what their personnel is based on the schemes that they've... Let's see. Where do they rank? I think they're like middle, right? Middle of the pack. Are they uh, better than the Leafs? 19%. They're just behind the Leafs. Okay. There you yeah, go. Yeah, they're, they're right about average. So, but I I mean, they were that power play was... The, those two units were really fun to watch when Hiller was there. And when he was let go and they brought in Paul McFarland, there was... Some people were a bit confused about why that had happened. It's almost like the Leafs, the Leafs have been overthinking the power play, it feels like, for a while now. And it's it's become a huge problem. Well, it's clearly gotten everyone's head. I mean, it was interesting. At one point, Sheldon Keith said, we're, we've told the group we're not changing the units. And that was when I think they went back to the... And it still didn't up. fix it. And, no, and then literally the next game, they changed the units. It was like, well, like if you're sticking with something, stick with it. And it's like... You can see now it's in it's in everyone's heads. I, I guess the question I would ask is to bring it back to the playoffs is how much is it going to matter? Because Montreal's power play obviously is not good. The Leafs are a dominant five on five team. Like maybe in a series like this it won't matter, but like who knows? Like maybe Montreal slogs it up and if you want to have yeah, if you want to have a deep run, you need a power play, right? Like you can. It's I, or, I think when I think when Boston won the cup, their power play was brutal, right? Like I think it was at like nine percent or something. But like but then you need the, an amazing penalty kill. Yeah. Yeah. which the Leafs have not had. Although they've had a pretty good penalty kill when Jack Campbell's played. so And now they have better penalty killers too. So that's all I got. That's all that's on your list for today? Yes, except for the pod bag. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. We could, we got uh, our loyal readers are sitting here waiting to, to hear what readers, listeners. <laughs> Was there anything else you want to discuss that we haven't gotten to? No, I think that's it. I've just been thinking a lot about... Uh, it's going to be a war, man, with the the fan bases here. Like they're already at each other, so it's it's pretty interesting. I often think that I think it's because of the the language barrier, but I find that um, Habs fans aren't as vocal as some of the other teams. Like some of what I see from Vancouver and Edmonton and stuff like that. But um, I think we're really going to 
we're going to start to see the uh, the Montreal fan base rev up here for this series. Obviously, it's too bad that there's no fans because that would make it ten times better. Actually, wait, there's one more thing I wanted to discuss. Perfect, you you bought me time. I think it's really interesting, and I don't know if this is just show. But it really looks like they're going to make Rasmus Sandin a very prominent part of what they do, at least to start. And and James, tell me if I'm like overthinking this. I thought it was pretty interesting. They're practicing six on five. And a hundred times out of a hundred over the last few years, the six on five defenseman would be Morgan Riley. He was on the second unit. Is there any part of you that thinks that that's like a little bit of a, a prod or do you just think they think Sandy's better in a situation like that? And so let's practice. And what did Keith say about it? He did not, he did not get asked about the six on five practice thing. That was just something. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's, it is interesting that Riley's not on the top power play unit and he's not on the six on five unit. I wonder if they're, uh, do you think they're actually going to use it like that or were they just looking at it? Well, I have a really hard time believing if the game is on the line that Riley's not out there. I just don't believe it. Same with the power play. Like, if there's a power play to win the game, I we, I still think Riley would be out we've there. Seen but we'll Riley see. be, we've seen Riley be a huge part of a lot of game-winning plays over the years. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, he, he tends to come up pretty big in, in big moments. So, eh, I don't know. But he struggled defensively. Like, he has not had a good year. He's not had a good year. This I is a conversation for. But yeah, this is a conversation for another time. But like, I, I think we're right. Sandine is going to be the heir apparent to to him. I think in, it's in the, in that way. Yeah. yeah, I don't know that the defensive stuff is as bad as you're saying it is, and as is perceived. It seems like gaffes that have blown that out of proportion because the numbers do not suggest that. But are they? Although not some of the individuals, although compared with the team, I guess they some of them do. But and also he's got Brody covering his ass all the time. All right. the 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 first question is from Update Leafs. They have no name. It just says that uh, when Bogosian returns, will Sandine or Dermot come out? Well, that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be pretty easy. <laughs> I, I think you. I think you just answered that. Dermot. <laughs> <laughs> If if Sandy's going to be on the top power play unit, I don't think he's coming out of the lineup. Although, although, wait, we should add, they'll see. Like, who knows? Like, the thing with Rasmus Sandin is like he is shown to be poised beyond his years. But who knows? Like, how it'll go in a playoff series? Like, they could they could watch him for a game. He looks overmatched, and they change. Like, it, that's not out of the realm. Next question, James. Six hockey would like Jonas to answer this question. If you drop an ice cube on the ground, do you pick it up or do you kick it to the side? Oh my god, none of this tomfoolishness. <laughs> I think this, you kick it. You don't pick it up? On the, like in it, the floor in my like where I live? Yeah. Oh, of course you pick it up. I thought you I was thinking outdoors. Oh, who cares about outdoors? <laughs> exactly. Now, this was a question that I got when I, I went on the podcast, the Athletic Hockey Show, which we, we need to promote which I don't think we have yet. Uh, Athletic Hockey Show has Ryan Miller on with John Gentilly and Craig Custance. That's a listen to that episode. Ryan Miller's one of my favorites in the league and uh, wish him well in his retirement. Um, when I was on with uh, Ian Mendez and, and, and Haley Salvian, <laughs> Haley asked this question because she just kicks the ice cube back under the fridge if she drops it. <laughs> and, I, and I said to her, I was like, 
once you're a dad and you have a mortgage and whatever, like, you know, <laughs> that ice cube's still your problem, even if you kick it under the fridge. Cause you know, at some point you're going to get a new fridge or something and whatever's under there, that's yours to deal with. So I guess it's a bit different when you're 25 and you're renting and you don't really care, but I don't want a giant puddle of water under my fridge. Makes sense. <laughs> what do we got here? Oh boy. Lots of, uh, Lots of questions about the D pairs over and over and over again. What are the questions? Here, it's the same. It's like, you know, uh, I'd love to hear you and Siegel discuss the D pairings. If Bogosian being healthy will mean Dermot comes out. Like, there's like 18 of those. Uh, Norman asks, who qualifies for the playoffs next year if the Atlantic division goes back to the way that it was? I think Boston's going the other direction. Well, they, I know Hall potentially wants to stay there. So, uh, you know, they, they've got some cap space opening up and. I, I'm I'm not I'm not ready to sell on Boston quite yet. Okay, I'm selling. I'm out. Tamp, Tampa's good. Leafs will be good. I mean, you don't think Boston's going to make the playoffs? No, of course they'll make the playoffs. Well, that's but I think was okay. Well, I think <laughs> if we're talking like who's going to win the the Atlantic, to me it'll come down to Toronto and Tampa. Well, but I obviously, guess the, so much can happen. So who knows? The complicating factor is that Florida has has shown that, and I, th- I think I don't think Florida's. I think they're going to be competitive here for the next couple of years. So. They need goalies, although they got that kid Spencer Knight. Well, Dreger, I think, is playing tonight with good reason. Sounds like you were uh, you were glued to that game the other night. It was great. Oh, here's a good one. Here, Kylie asks us: uh, Does Freddie play the back to back? And if he does well, then what do you do? Yes, he plays the back-to-back. I, I think that's I for ask sure. You, do you think there's any chance that the, like if Campbell's just rolling and they're up 2-1 or 3 nothing in the series, do you just like put Campbell in again? Because like there's no travel or anything. I would ask you, would you would any part of you start Anderson in Game 3? I guess you have to see how Games 1 and 2 go. Like, who the hell knows? Yeah. Like, Campbell could could be so good that you just keep playing I feel him. like if you're up 2 nothing, you just play Campbell Game 3 and just try and win that one too, right? Because then yes. the series is almost over. Yeah. Because there's only one more game you got to win, eh? You got to win four, right? Right. Mr. Spell would like to know if the offense needs a spark. Is that when Galchenyuk draws in? I can only see him playing on that Tavares line. What about you? I mean, I think Galchenyuk's probably waiting for an injury more than anything. I mean, who are you going to... Who would you sit to bring Galchenyuk in? I guess, like, you could sit Simmons, but I, I understand why he's in the lineup. Yeah. And it, it doesn't make sense to put Galchenyuk on that fourth line. I, I don't think he's going to be effective there. No. He needs to play with Tavares or he doesn't play, basically. That's why it's not like I – I mean, it's been harder, I think, for Nick Robertson, like, as the year's gone on. I, again, it's all injuries. Zachary Tolson would like to know, who is the Leaf most likely to be the breakout depth scorer in the playoffs? Polino, maybe? That's a Yeah, I could see. Spets has had a really productive year. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say Joe Thornton could surprise people with what he produces in this series. That's a good one in this series. Yeah, yeah. It, well, well, it says in the playoffs, so you know, this series is part of the playoffs. It's pretty interesting though how like his season changed. Like, I mean, we were talking a, a month or so ago, like maybe he couldn't be in the lineup, and it it looked that way. It looked like a question whether he should be in the lineup and. He turned it on down the stretch. He started playing more physically. They kind of developed an identity for that line. They stopped playing him with Matthews for the most part. Alex Howe wants to know, uh, what's your view of Montreal not dressing Cole Caulfield? We kind of talked about that a little bit last week, right? 
I don't think it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think that Montreal's really gearing up to have like try and like have a have a battle, right? Like, but you still have to score. Yeah. But they're they're certainly gonna put the lineup together in a certain way and I just I don't I don't know. I don't I think Toronto's gonna be okay with playing that way. Especially I mean, now that they know what's coming here. So I think the most interesting character actually in the series will be Corey Perry. I think he's so much fun. I love watching him. <laughs> Most people don't love watching him. He's so, like, he just does all these little, like, I'm trying to remember what he did against the Leafs last time they played. It was like, so are you just point, like a big fan of, like, rats in general? I guess just this particular rat. He's great. If you're, like, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. You know, you know James? Like, that's what you got to do. There's going to be a lot of trying to cheat in this series, I think, for sure. You know he won a heart trophy, right? Ian would like to know, despite their record and being good on paper, the Leafs are like an opera and are doomed to lose because of unforeseen circumstances like the Red Sox prior to 2013. How will they lose it all this year? Wow. There's a lot of... If they lose this series, it's going to be... Like you mentioned what the podcast is going to sound like if they lose this series. be... I mean, we, we have a lot of experience with, with talking about them losing, so maybe maybe it won't feel that unusual. But there's there's a lot of pressure on the Leafs on the on the organization to to win this series. I know I know they're they're feeling it in the front office that, that they they need to win. I mean, there well, you can't just keep having like good teams on paper. Like it doesn't. You need results. Like it's it it doesn't work. But it's funny, you know, Jonas. They have this this monster regular season, and it doesn't really matter. Like it's not that's not going to change the perception at all. No. There's gonna be there's gonna be heat on the front office for sure. If they Actually, James, can I ask you one thing that that I just saw come up in my newsfeed? Yep. It looks like the Mon- that Montreal is gonna set uh, Romanov. Yep. And John Merrill is gonna play with Shea Weber. Oh, okay. So that's the pair I would assume that will play against Matthews. Well, uh, I don't know that the Leafs should be that afraid of John Merrill. To be honest, he's he looks like he should be in a. Uh, an indie band. Have you ever seen like? Cause he's got like the yeah. The yeah he's stash. got like the he's got the mullet and the yeah yeah. I don't know, man. I, I'm walking around my neighborhood some days and people are looking at me and they're wondering. I got a big beard now and I got the mullet out the back and they're like, who's this guy wearing a ball cap? And yeah, I'm sure that yeah. They they call the neighborhood watch when they see me go down the street sometimes. I was I waved to one of my neighbors the other day and I was wearing like a jean jacket and I, I don't think he knew who I was. So. <laughs> I don't think he recognized me. Called the cops. Yeah, maybe. Old Dirty wants to know, why the hell does Calgary-Vancouver have to finish their games? And why does that mean delaying the start of the North Division playoffs? That's a good question, Old Dirty. I recommend you read Thomas Drance's story from a few days ago on The Athletic. I agree, though, that it is dumb. I, I don't know why. Why didn't they just start Edmonton and Winnipeg on Monday or Tuesday? The NHL, man. The NHL. I think what they're trying to do, Jonas, is for this Leafs Hab series to get one uh, of the games, or to get to have two of the games on on Saturday nights. So they're going to have game two on Saturday night, and then they're going to have uh, game six on Saturday night as well, if if necessary. All right, James. Well, I think we've we've done our our piece on the series. We need to see some games. Uh, you mentioned the athletic hockey show. What else should we mention? Oh, I want to do my local spot. Do you have a local spot that you really like that you want to highlight? Because I have one in your hood that I think is pretty good. A couple, yeah, I, actually. You know what? The only thing I feel weird about is I don't know if I want everyone 
<laughs> knowing where you go? Well, I don't know if everyone wants, I want everyone to know exactly where my house is or whatever. You know, the the one pub that I really like, I mean, I'm in the East End, obviously, which I've talked about before. One pub that I like is, it's called Occasions and it's kind of like a nice yeah. hole in the wall place and it's got like good pub food and that's, uh, I watched the Raptors win the NBA championship from that place and it's like a good local spot and it was just rammed full of people and we, we had a really great time that night. That is a good spot. Do you like Allen's? On the Danforth? Yeah, but Allen's is like a more... It's not as... Experience. Grimy. Old school, like the other one. But I, you and I have gone to Allen's, haven't we? I've never gone with you there. Amazing oh. burgers. I've been there. I've been there with m- much of our staff. Hmm. All right. Well, there you go. Athletic Hangout. Well, Allen's was one of the one of the supporting characters in the Joshua Cloak story about uh, Gord Downey and, and Joe, yes. Thornton, Joe Thornton. If you haven't seen that story, I, I loved how it mixed in like Withrow Park and, and, and parts of the East End because because that's that's become my hood here in the last seven or eight years. Now we know where you live. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> Not exactly. All right. Well. We are going to be back after game one. I think we're planning to, to record on Friday morning. Game one's on Thursday night, so Friday morning. So check us out on Friday at some point. James, any parting thoughts? You've already had your speech. Bring on the games. Thanks for listening, everybody.